This is Give Me Some Truth. This podcast features appearances from Clint Walkner, Nate Condon, Jonathan Jordan, and myself, Mitch DeWitt, from Walkner Condon Financial Advisors in Madison, Wisconsin. Give Me Some Truth is dedicated to providing an accessible and authentic view into the financial services industry, as well as current events and investment concepts that you can apply in your day-to-day life. Here are your hosts. today. Mitch and Clint Walkner in the booth today, and we're going to discuss a, an article that we, that uh, Mitch came across um, in Forbes. And it, it's a, a nice article. Of course, it piqued uh, our interest because it said three things that you should never ask your financial advisor. So, so naturally, I clicked the link. Of course. Yeah. Uh, clickbait at its best, right? Uh, so... So apparently this is uh, the gentleman's name uh, that wrote this article is, uh, let's see, uh, Garth Friesen or Friesen. I kind of think of it a nice German name, Friesen. <laughs> it makes, makes me think a little bit. I don't know why it makes me think of, of like Austin Powers or something like that. You know, one of the villains in Austin Powers. His <laughs> name's like Garth Friesen. Uh, he apparently manages $4.5 billion of assets he manages a hedge fund. Um, so I don't know. I, I don't know if he's a man of the people financial advisor, bitch, but I would say that, you know. Uh, he's I, done something okay. Yeah, right? Like. Yeah, $4.5 billion. I mean, that's uh, a lot of money that people are trusting him with. It's probably not just his family's money. Let's just say that, right? Probably not. <laughs> <laughs> so, so he says three things you should never ask your financial advisor. Number one is... Why did my portfolio return less than the S and P five hundred? And actually, have you ever heard that? Before? I've heard that a couple times over the course of my career, and we've heard that a little bit uh, this year. So, uh, why should people not ask their financial advisor? Why did my portfolio return less than the S and P five hundred? Well, that might not be in alignment with their their strategy at, at a very high level, right? And and with the news and media and apps and everything out there, they, they talk about the market, right? And every day there's a market update, no matter which news source you're tuning into. It could be CNN, it could be MSNBC, it could be Yahoo, it could be anything, right? And they there's usually a couple different indexes that they point to. One is the S&P 500, which this question's around, and then Dow Jones is another one. And those are just a certain basket of investments that, that could be out there. And a lot of the clients we work with, if if their goal is to just not run out of money in retirement, which is a pretty common goal, right? That doesn't necessarily mean we're trying to beat the S&P. We're, as a matter of fact, we're not going to be trying to beat the S&P. And, and there's a very good chance that that we're not doing our job if we are trying to beat the S&P. So that, there's a few things going on there, but it, it's one of those things that if the goal is to beat it, then maybe you're you're looking to the wrong sources to do that. That's right. Yeah, it's a it's a benchmark problem, I would say for sure. I think it's really funny when these when these shows uh, do. Okay, we're going to show you the Dow, we're going to show you the S and P, we're going to show you the Russell two thousand, and and basically those are all U.S. stocks. So, I mean, let's show you a U.S. stock index benchmark. Let's show you another U.S. and another U.S. I mean, the Russells smaller and medium sized companies, 
and the S&P is like the 500 largest, you know, and the Dow is just a, a small group. It's 30 stocks, you know, and so it's, it's not that many, you know, it's not, it's just all U.S. stocks. In Pretty there. small sample size. Right? Yeah, it really is. There's so many more stocks out there. And so there's better benchmarks, I think, to look at. I think you look at the MSCI world, which gives you a, a more broader index. And still, uh, once again, as you alluded to, Mitch, most people aren't trying to beat a stock index. And if they are, they're usually not communicating the right things to their advisor. Uh, if, they're, if their true benchmark was to beat that, then um, you know we have to use almost all equities in a portfolio and then use a bunch of different sectors and things like that that are just kind of out of the realm of our comfort level. Uh, maybe this hedge fund manager... Uh, you know, wants to try to do that, but uh, uh, that's not really what we try to do here. And one thing I was thinking about is, and both you and I had mentioned this actually, we, we said beat the S&P, right? And even if someone says they want to just track the S&P, that still would mean that you're going to be in all equities, all U.S., and a lot of people that we work with are, are close to or in their retirement or work optional type of years, and if you're in a hundred percent equities, hey, some might some might be there from a risk level, but most of our clients, once they're in those stages of life, are not going to be hundred percent equities. You're absolutely right. If they are, they're very aggressive and they know it. Uh, but I would argue that the vast majority of our clients uh, should be uh, losing to the S and P 500 right now. And if they are, they're actually accomplishing their goal. Um, and, you know, right now the S&P is hot, but, uh, you know, global stocks um, and haven't done none as well. And, and therefore, that's why their performance isn't keeping up with S&P. And I found it funny. I, I know that uh, I won't mention any names, obviously, but we got a, a client email um, from somebody that said that they choose to track the S&P. And so, therefore, you know, they're kind of benchmarking us against that. And I'm like, well, <laughs> just because you choose some index doesn't mean it's so. So, you know, I could choose to to look at gold. And uh, that doesn't mean that I should bench my portfolio just because I watch something. Uh, you know, so we've got to be careful about that a little bit and say, okay, well, well, XYZ investments up this much. How come you're not up that much? Because only a small allocation is to that certain uh, asset class. So uh, the vast majority of our clients do own the S&P 500 um, in some way, shape or form. We own a large cap index that that has a correlation that significantly tracks that. So why am I not beating it? Well, you actually own it in your portfolio. It's just one component of it. Right. It's a small piece of the pie. That's exactly right. So that's doing great. Great. You have it in your portfolio. Congratulations. Yeah. You know. But we also have a bunch of other stuff, um, and some of it's performing well, and some of it's not. Yeah. And, and the other one last thing on, on this first question that I wanted to add was, if you want to track the S&P 500, of course, you want to track it on the upside, right? Because that sounds awesome. We're in a nine-year bull run. Things are still moving up and up, it seems. Economy's pretty strong. Unemployment is low. All these great things. But we're going to see a recession at some point. We don't know when. We're going to. And the S&P, if you want to track it, you're going to see some serious downside, too. And if you have a more diversified with international, you have some bonds, depending on your, your allocation and, and your investment strategy... I think on the downside is when you probably don't want to track the S&P 500 anymore. No, you want to complain about it at that point and go, well, you know. So I think it's actually, you know, to come back to the question, three things you should never ask your financial advisor. I think it's valid to ask your financial advisor that question. I also think that um, hopefully we've done enough education around this saying, okay, well, that's not the right benchmark to necessarily follow if you're going to look at something. It's one of the benchmarks that you should follow, but not the sole benchmark that you should follow. 
Um, because frankly, if we if you really wanted to get S and P five hundred returns, then we'd put you in a five S and P five hundred index fund, and that would be all your allocation. I mean, I mean, I don't think that you should anyone should really do that. Um, but that's that's a choice if you really wanted to track that. So what's number two on the list here, Clint? Why is my neighbor's advisor crushing it for his clients? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm intrigued. Uh, I would say that this is something that you should definitely never ask your financial advisor. <laughs> because uh, and, and the author actually alluded to this, too. They said, first, your neighbor is probably lying. Uh, I, I don't know whether they're lying or not, uh, but I would say that I think it's important to note that when somebody usually says this, they always you only remember your wins and you don't remember your losses. Uh, and I think that's the the funny part about, uh, oh, my advisor's killing it, or I, I bought these stocks and, you know, hey, Facebook is doing so well for me. And you're going, well, okay. Did you buy Facebook? But did you also buy Enron? You know, all these things that, what, in, what bad investment decisions do they actually come up and tell you about it? I would say virtually none, right? <laughs> you know, unless they really struck out and they're laughing and having a beer and being like, boy, I really lost that one. But uh, you don't hear about people's losses. You, you hear about their, their gains um, and how smart they are. And kind when of like they at the Bitcoin. casino yeah. or at the poker table, you know, you, you hear a lot of success stories in those type of environments. But for the ups there, there can be the downs. Well, yeah, and, and whether it's, a, you know, I, I think it's really funny. I, I go back to uh, uh, Nate and his his dad. He traded um, options for a while, which I, I think is is an incredible feat to just trade that, anyways. And uh, you know, he he struggled with telling Nate, you know, kind of what his his real rate of return was at the end. You know, he's doing a lot of activity trading a lot, and uh, you know, I, I think that this is um, the problem here. You can go, hey, I'm killing it this year, and you're like, well, killing it because why? You know, you're killing it because you're selecting individual stocks and you've made good picks and you've done it over a long period of time. Or, um, you know, did you buy a couple winners and a couple losers and you actually ended up losing to your benchmark there? Uh, a lot of people that do a lot of trading actually can't tell you what their rate of return is relative to some benchmark. Right, right. And the other thing I want to point out about this question is those two people, if it's neighbors, let's say, out in the driveway nice day in the summer, they're mowing the lawn and they're catching up. Somehow it gets to financial advisors, right? Oh, my advisor's crushing it. Okay. Well, well, one person could be in very different shoes than the person next door, right? Those neighbors probably, I'd be willing to bet they do not have the same amount of assets. They probably don't have the same amount of risk that they're willing to take. They probably don't have the, the obligations for their family and, uh, and income and all these different things, right? There, there's probably a very, very different scenario there. So we're kind of talking apples and oranges as well. That's right. And, and I think also, uh, you know, I think we, we juxtapose financial advisor and investment management t- manager together. And I think that's, that's the misnomer. You know, if you, if you actually reframe this question and said, why is my neighbor's asset manager or investment manager crushing it for his or her clients? I think that that's a little bit more valid and it could be a, a fund manager, you know, it could be a small cap fund manager, bought a whole bunch of technology stocks and they did really well that year. I mean, that might be one component to an overall investment management mix too. So, um, you know, we as financial advisors do help select funds and do help select managers. But, um, you know, in many cases, uh, we're doing so many other things outside of that, being true financial planners or financial advisors um, that people focus on the investment management too. And I, I really, you know, we really caution people against doing that. Well, just this morning, I had a conversation with somebody who is a do-it-themselves stock picker. 
So they, they, they have some fun money, but they also view it as an investment in a way too. And when they, they were talking about GoPro, actually, and this, this is not a stock I follow, Clearly, because when during the discussion, he said, oh, you know, did you see the, the dip that they did last year and where it was at and, and where it's at currently? And it was one of those stocks that he picked. Didn't do so hot. He, he picked it and bought in at, at close to a high. It's now not close to a high. <laughs> <laughs> and and his, his reaction to when I was asking him some questions was almost surprised that I don't follow this individual stock. And and. I'm not a stock picker, right? And sure, we know on, on some of the, the bigger ones out there, we, we in general have a feel for what's going on. But when it comes to an individual stock like that, like GoPro, I'm not tracking it on a daily basis by any stretch of the imagination. Nor do I. Nor do that, I. that is not part of my daily, weekly, monthly routine in that case, right? We're, we're doing full financial planning. Yeah, we're looking at whether or not a goal can be accomplished and we're looking at all kinds of different numbers um, around that. We're looking at taxation and efficiency, and there's so many other things uh, outside from investment management. And yeah, this office does not follow stocks. We just don't. Uh, you know, that's uh, that's it. We'd rather buy indexes, groups of stocks, instead of picking winners and losers in, in individual stocks. I, I think that's a very, very difficult um, thing. And your office has to be set up to do that. I mean, there are companies that have huge amounts of teams that all they do is investment research all day. And our firm is not set up to do that. We can go hire them. That's fine. I mean, if there's somebody who wants to look at that, we can hire separate account managers and put together a more complex portfolio utilizing other managers. But, um, you know, that's not our area of expertise. And, and uh, you know, also keep in mind, why is my neighbor's advisor crushing for their clients? I mean, it, you know, it might be a situation where they've bought all U.S. stocks and just gotten lucky, too. So, I mean, there's... There's a luck factor in here, um, and there's also an, an, an actual risk-adjusted long-term performance ranking of this advisor. So just because an advisor got it right for a year does not mean that they've gotten it right for the last 10. So um, you, know, you, you cannot go by your uh, neighbor or friend or family member. Um, and so that would say totally valid. Don't ask that question to your financial advisor. <laughs> so that's uh, number two. Yeah, yeah. What else, what else do we have out there? Why can't you generate a decent income from bonds? Well, you know, I, I think this one's an interesting one. Uh, and interest rates have been low for a long period of time. Um, you know, so why can't I generate a decent income? Well, interest rates have been low. Uh, interest rates are going up, uh, which, you know, what happens, though, uh, Mitch, when, when uh, interest rates go up, though? Secondary market prices go down. Yeah, that's right. So your bond prices may be going down at the same time that your income's going up. So, um, you know, bonds, particularly the long-term bonds, have been under some pressure and in most cases are negative for the year. So, um, you know, that's kind of the, the thing in bonds. Uh, they're set out to give you income, number one, and give you kind of that protection. And since the stock market's gone up, interest rates have gone up, um, you know, there's some people I think are re-looking at their bond exposure and saying, should I even own bonds right now? And and our answer is usually, well, you'll you'll be happy you had bonds uh, when stocks go down significantly because it helps buffer that. But uh, you know, there are periods of time where we where we do take into account where the bond market is at the time, and you know, perhaps we go a little more short duration with our bonds. Perhaps we consider different alternatives to bonds. Um, you know, in the case of uh, of where we're at today, so um, so rates are low. I mean, I, I think this is pretty valid. I, I I also think that that's a reasonable question that a that a uh, client can ask their financial advisor. You know, mm -hmm. I, I think that that's, that's very legitimate. Mitch, can you think of um, 
something else that uh, it might that they shouldn't ask their financial advisor or something that a client shouldn't tell their financial advisor? Ooh, let's see. Off the list here? Yeah, well, anything that you want to deal with. Uh, I got one of mine. If yeah, you, yeah, yeah, yeah. Go I'll, for I'll, it. I'll go Please first. Please do. Um, you know what I think? Having this amount of experience. So I was registered like 2001. So I, I've heard a lot of uh, a lot of client things over the years. I would say the one thing that I hear fairly frequently is, hey, uh, uh, I bought this product. And uh, so what do you think about it? I'm like, well, you probably should have called me before you just went up and bought something. And I think one I'm of thinking the, of a few things, a but few go things. on. <laughs> I would say uh, number one would be long-term care insurance. Uh, that's one that, that people like to just hop into. Um, another, I know you've had one uh, recently on, on that. Uh, Mitch, you've had, what was the other product? That variable was annuities. Variable annuities, yeah. Yes, which can be expensive at times. You t- I shouldn't say at times. Typically, they are. And they they can be oversold. They can be sold to people that might not be in the position to really entertain them. And I, I think with a variable annuity or some of these other product type sales, they're, they're truly being sold, right? It's a product, it's on the shelf, we have this great thing for you. Sure, there's guaranteed income. Sure, there could be a death benefit, all these things that sound nice, right? But getting out of them could be hard. There could be some high fees to do that. You, once you're in, you're in for a certain amount of, of time, and you may not be able to really get the income that you truly want and need maybe during a certain stretch of, of your work optional or retirement years. Yeah, I think this is probably the most frustrating thing for me as a financial advisor when somebody just doesn't pick up the phone or send us an email and just say, hey, I'm considering this. Um, what's your take on it? And I think it's because they don't want to... Um, I think it's really that they don't want to feel judged by the advisor. And, you know, hopefully we've we've done a service to our clients and we project an openness to them that there is no dumb financial question. I would rather hear what somebody would consider to be a dumb financial question in quotes. Um, I'd rather hear that every day of the week than when they come in there and they want to get us to try to agree with them that a decision that they made was, was right and it was the wrong decision. So I would say that, um, you know, we talk about dumb questions. There's no dumb question. There are dumb decisions that get made all the time. And commonly it's because they're asking their neighbor or people that aren't financial professionals. And, you know, if you've got a financial center of your life, somebody that you trust, then you have to pick up the phone and contact them when you're doing something. And a lot of people will call us for, hey, I'm looking to make a car purchase, or I'm looking to do a home equity line of credit, or I'm looking at doing this. And we see so much of this during the course of our day, that, and we read a lot, and you know, why wouldn't you pick up the phone and ask a question of us? So, And I think uh, it is getting over the answer to that question. I know you're kind of just throwing it out there to the audience, but I think the answer to that question is people... People don't want to feel that that shame, that embarrassment. And even if they feel dumb, so to speak, while asking the question while on the phone or in their meeting, review meeting, or whatever context it might be, I think they would, in retrospect, if they, they find themselves in a scenario where they, they got pushed or, or steered into a, the wrong product, in retrospect, they always would say, wow, I wish I, I, wish I would have asked. I wish I would have picked up the phone. I wish I would have brought it up. Because... With the benefit of hindsight, you can see, ah, maybe this wasn't the best decision at the time. So maybe we should rethink this uh, whole podcast and say, it says three things you should never ask your financial advisor. 
it should be zero things that you should never ask your financial advisor because you should always ask your financial advisor if you have a financial question because at least if your financial advisor is doing their job, they won't judge you for asking any question, even if you think it's a dumb question. And hopefully they'll steer you in the right direction and give you good advice. And, you know, at a bare minimum, you've gathered another opinion, right? Some people choose not to take their advice, our advice, and that's fine. That we, We lay out options for them and they choose what path that they want to take. And some of them may not make the most sense when we talk about a dollars and cents and numbers thing. It's our job to make sure that they're efficient and have the information um, in front of them. And if the client opts to make a different decision, um, hopefully it's not, you know, the quote unquote wrong one. You know, it might not be the most optimal, but people don't necessarily do things in the most optimal manner. They but we do it we give them options that won't hurt them. If they're going to hurt themselves, we definitely let them know, hey, this is a big problem here and you might harm yourself financially. And so if they're going to step on a financial landmine, we really try to keep them from doing that. Right. And there are times, you know, you might listen to this this piece of the podcast here and just say, oh, that means annuities are always bad and evil and it's a product. There are times where an annuity might fit someone's situation, right? So, Definitely. And I, I think our disclosure slide at the end of this podcast probably covers us, but <laughs> <laughs> they're not always a bad thing, right? An annuity is something that can fit in, in many people's financial plan. Well, Social Security is an annuity, and you know, there you go. That's in probably just about everyone's plan. I would say that's in everyone's plan. You know, unless they chose not to work in the U.S. and they came here, but yeah, and then they're going to have an annuity probably from a different uh, country. So, yeah, I mean, I think annuities are wonderful planning tools. It's just that they've been sold um, instead of uh, a situation where they've been incorporated into a financial plan. Um, And I'm trying to think about other things that that you should never ask your financial advisor. you know, you, you probably shouldn't ask your financial advisor for what? Love advice? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I, have, you, have to, you been asked that? No. I, well, yeah, you'd be, you'd be surprised, man. You'd be surprised. I mean, I think, I think most people would be, you know, we, we, we have clients that are divorcees. We have clients that, um, you know, actually it's, it's interesting because you, you, you run into certain situations and you're like, I don't know if this is going to work, you know, when they bring their financial lives together. And then you find out, lo and behold, that most most of the time when we have that sort of sense that it isn't going to work and uh, and it doesn't work. So I, I think that's kind of it's kind of interesting. It's just an aside. But, um, you know, I, I guess one of the other things that that people kind of kind of go in and, and self validate is, you know, after they make these um, these decisions, they try to get that validation. Then they. Uh, then they keep doubling down sometimes on on the fact that they think it's a good decision until they decide it's it's not. So, um, you know, I guess we just ask our clients to keep an, an open mind and everything. And um, you know, there's that sunk cost sort of thing, which I'm sure you covered in your MBA, which uh, which basically means that you know if you make a decision and that decision was was a bad one, you can't try to double down on that decision and you know tough it out. You've got to take what you have for the information in front of you then and make a decision on that when it's when it's you are confronted with it so it may be painful to get out of an investment or something like that um and i would say a whole life insurance is one of those things that that always uh, you know people kind of regret buying and then they're like well i got it now i got some cash value built up and now i'm just going to keep it and you're like well you know just because you bought it at an at a time it doesn't mean that you shouldn't get out of it and cash out of it and take the pain Human behavior can definitely get in the way of decision making. That's one. Of, that's a big part of our 
our job, right? Is that coaching piece, helping people walk through that. Cause there's, there's a whole, and we've mentioned this in other podcasts and blogs, but behavioral finance is, is a whole study area in itself. And it's how humans, we're all humans, right? How we get attached to certain things and the sunk cost fallacy, all these different things, right? That we're attached and, and behaviorally, we might not make the most optimal decisions given the information at hand. And that's why you hire advisors. That's why you have a third party, have somebody look at it, have them give them give an opinion. And then really it's up to you to, to act or not act on that. That's exactly right. That's a great point. Uh, you know, there's so many different examples of this and perhaps we'll deal with that at a future podcast, but uh, I think we're going to cut it off there because you know what? We got great feedback from one of the people. Uh, and if he's out there, Tom said he listens every time he said, I really like that you keep it to under like 25 minutes. Um, and I say, yep, that's, that's exactly what we try to do. We try to keep it to a, a commute. And so Thank you for joining us. We appreciate you all subscribing and uh, giving your feedback to us. And we'll catch you in a future episode. You gotta leave your money behind you. Raise your hand to the sky. Ask the masses for silence. Look more dead in the Advisory services are offered through Walkner Condon Financial Advisors, LLC, a registered investment advisor in the states of Wisconsin and Texas. Clint Walkner, Nate Condon, Jonathan Jordan, and Mitch DeWitt are investment advisor representatives of Walkner Condon. Guests on the podcast are not registered, and their participation in the podcast are limited to unregistered activities and will not be providing any advice that is investment-related, nor should any comments that guests make should be construed as giving investment advice. Content should not be viewed as an offer to buy or sell any securities mentioned or as legal or tax advice. You should always consult an attorney or tax professional regarding your specific legal or tax situation. Walkner Condon Financial Advisors, LLC, is not engaged in the practice of law. Whenever you invest, you are at risk of loss of principal as the market does fluctuate. Past performance is not indicative of future results. Purchases are subject to suitability. This requires a review of an investor's objective, risk tolerance, and time horizon. Investing always involves risk and possible loss of capital. Long-term care, estate planning, insurance products, and tax advice are not offered through Walkner Condon Financial Advisors, LLC. Walkner Condon works on a best efforts basis and does not guarantee any results. Past performance does not represent future results. Please see walknercondon.com for additional disclosures.